reading this evening is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 31, and can be found on page 1103 of the Church Bibles. When Saul, who became Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. so amazing to be here speaking to you all tonight and it is a let's talk about so we've got a slightly different structure to the service because I'm going to speak which is normal but then hopefully we're going to have some testimonies and a kind of extended time of prayer but it's a let's talk about and it's about encouragement and when I read this topic I was actually so excited because what it means is that all of you have to message me after and say well done because that's encouragement I appreciate the laughter so anyway, let's jump in. So I want to start with a clip from a film. And Jack told me we're not allowed to show it because we'll get flagged on YouTube. So let me, in my amazing word-telling stories... Nope, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> let me tell you how it opens. So the scene is set. It's in uh, America. It's a black-and-white film. And there is just lots and lots of prayers going on. Different people, old, young, all praying for this man named George Bailey. And so you get about a minute of these prayers going off. They're just praying for this man, George Bailey. We never see George Bailey at the start of this film. But then it zooms out, and it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going, until you see stars. And these stars represent angels. And so there are two angels talking, and they're discussing George Bailey. They're saying it's a real problem. He's about to do something that he will regret. He's going to throw away the greatest gift that God has ever given and so the lead angel says to another angel, go and get Clarence. And this other angel says, no, 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 no. Clarence is so bad, he doesn't even have his wings yet. He's not great. But the lead angel says, no, 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 don't worry. Get him anyway. So then you see another star appear, and it's Clarence. And so the lead angel explains to Clarence the situation. And Clarence's reply is, is he sick? And the lead angel says, worse than sick, he's discouraged. Worse than sick, he's discouraged. How many of us have felt discouraged? Professionally, relationally, spiritually? I think if we're all honest, we probably all have. I know I definitely have. I've definitely felt discouraged. And life is so full of discouragement. It's full of hard times. And I really appreciate those moments when it's hard because it shows you the good times and how good life is. 
But I think that life can be seen as running from just one discouragement to the next. And it's kind of brutal. And then I think that this, this, this discouragement is doubled when you're a Christian. Because the call on the Christian life is so high. I think the call on the Christian life is actually the highest call of any life, which is to go and make disciples of the world. So you have this massive discouragement from life normally that we all have. But then when your friends, you know, you're trying to talk to them about Jesus and they're like, I don't care. Or you invite them to Alpha and they just reject it. And you don't start seeing the kingdom of heaven around you, even if maybe you are, you just don't see it. You get this double whammy of discouragement. And then comes the problem of discouragement. It leads us to do things that we shouldn't. You know, maybe we eat that extra piece of cake even though we know it's not going to satisfy us. Maybe we treat someone less than, they, than we should, even though we know that doesn't make us whole. Maybe we snap at our partner or our child, even though we know that won't bring our peace back. And so quickly, like George Bailey, when we get discouraged and we act in ways that we know aren't right, but we feel as, but we feel as though there's no other way out of it. That's when we need our Barnabases and our Clarences around us, those people who encourage us, lift us up, and remind us who we are and whose we are. Because without them, worse than being sick will be discouraged and can end up doing something we'll regret. So, once we've understood why encouragement is so important, I find it helpful to remind myself what encouragement actually means. And the best definition I've ever heard is that encouragement is putting courage into someone. Encouragement is putting courage into someone. The incredible author, Laila Akita, says that you must have courage to overcome discouragement. And I think that sums it up wonderfully, but it does leave me wondering, well, how can someone who is constantly discouraged at the end of their tether like George Bailey was, find the courage to overcome discouragement? And the answer is only when they are encouraged by someone. When someone, possibly even a stranger like Clarence, steps into their life and puts courage into them, can they possibly overcome their discouragement and restart living their life in the fullness of their destiny. Therefore, because we know how discouraging life is, because we all live in it and all face it, we have to be a people of encouragement. Okay, but how? I hear you say at the back, maybe whispering it in your mind or even turning to your neighbor and whispering, how on earth do I actually do that? Because it's all well and good. I feel discouraged. I felt discouraged. I know it's important to encourage someone, but how do I actually do this? How do I go about and encourage someone? Well, fear not, because there's a man in the Bible who I believe gives us a blueprint of how to live a life of Christian encouragement. And this man is Joseph who, if you don't know much about him, is found in Acts. And he's given the name Barnabas by the apostles. And this name translated literally is son of encouragement. Could you imagine being so encouraging that your heroes, these amazing apostles, rename you son or daughter of encouragement? That is some seriously high praise and gives me, provides me all the credentials I need to know that how he lives his life provides me with a blueprint of how I can do this. So I think Barnabas gives us three ways to be an encourager. And if you're a note taker, I would recommend you take these down to remind you throughout the week. 
But the first one is financial encouragement. The second one is challenging encouragement. And the third one is prophetic encouragement. So financial encouragement, challenging encouragement, and prophetic encouragement. First, let's look at what financial encouragement means to us. And to do that, we're going to turn to the, in the book of Acts to Acts 4, 36 and 37. And it says, I've already got it, so I'll read it. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. There is literally so much good stuff in this that I think the best way for me to explain is to use an analogy. So, I want you to picture this. You've got an amazing idea. You think you've spotted a gap in the market. For a knife spork, so picture this. It's one of those horrendous things that you go camping, you know the spork, where it's a spoon and a fork, it's awful, no one likes it. But on the other end, you think, do you know what I could put on there to make it even better is a really sharp knife your one and only tool you need for all of your camping needs. And Sarah's family will know I hate camping, so I think it's a terrible idea. But imagine you have this idea. Anyway, you're super excited, and you go and you take it to your friends. And you say, guys, 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 look at my idea. I think it's fantastic. And they all look at you and they laugh. And they say, no. I'm sorry, Jimmy, that just is not going to flow. No one wants a knife spork where you stab yourself constantly if you go wrong when you're eating. That's a terrible, terrible idea. So you're feeling quite discouraged, but anyway, you go, well, they're not really my best friends. I go and I'll speak to my family. So you go and you tell your family, you say, hey, family, thank you for being here. Here's my pitch. Look at my knife spork. And again, they say, no, I'm really sorry. That's a terrible, terrible idea. But in your excitement, what you failed to mention to your friends and your family is you'd booked to go on Dragon's Den to present this idea. And so you're thinking, oh, do I go, do I not go? Oh, just, oh this is ridiculous. Everyone's hated it. But anyway, you go. Because you think, I booked it, I'm going to go. And so you walk out of the elevator, and you begin your pitch, shaking terribly because you're worried about what they're going to say, these titans of industry. And so as you finish delivering your pitch, one by one, they smile. And then they raise their hand, and they offer you all the money you ask for, and in that moment, you would feel validated, you'd feel valued, and you'd most certainly feel encouraged about your idea. Because they're not only putting, sorry, because what they're actually saying through investing in your idea is they're investing in you as a person. They are putting courage into you to go and make that product and make it work. And that's what Barnabas is actually doing here with the apostles. We don't know all that much about Barnabas' backstory. This is the first time we're introduced to him. But we know he's from Cyprus, and he's almost certainly a bachelor. And I can picture the scene. You know, Barnabas, he's hearing about the early church in Jerusalem, with thousands being added to their number. And that, of course, needed financial aid. So he thinks, well, I'll sell my land, and I'll support them. And I can just think, you know, he's there, he's praying, he's saying, oh, I'll sell this land. How much do I give? Do I give 10%? That's the going tithe rate. Do I give 50%? That would still be incredible. But no, he gives all of the money over. He gives all of that money over to the apostles. 
And this isn't a talk on generosity, so I'm not going to labor that point about how much he gives. But the reason I want to raise this is because as soon as you invest in someone financially, you add a value to that person or that person's ministry that can't be found in any other way. Putting your money where your mouth is is an important act of encouragement because it says to them, I believe so much in you and what you're doing that I'm willing to support you even to the detriment of myself. But sister, brother, you're worth it. Financially, I'm putting courage into you to continue your work. That's financial encouragement. And so the second form of encouragement that Barnabas shows us is challenging encouragement. And before I explain this, I really want to stress that challenging encouragement is not a free pass to say whatever you want to whomever you want. It must, must be reserved for unique and special occasions. But nevertheless, it is an important form of encouragement and one that Barnabas demonstrates in Acts 15, verses 36 to 40. And it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. You see, Barnabas and Paul had known each other for a really long time. They'd ministered together for years, but they had such a sharp disagreement that they decided they had to part from one another. And this is what challenging encouragement really looks like. It's not Barnabas criticizing Paul, and it's not Paul criticizing Barnabas. No, it's Barnabas recognizing the value of someone that Paul had dismissed and defending that person to the point that they could no longer see eye to eye. Another way to look at this, to put a more positive spin on it, because I always like positivity, is that challenging encouragement is actually calling someone back to their destiny. It's calling someone back to their destiny. Paul was losing him, losing himself in his mission to evangelize the world. He'd forgotten that relationship was as important as spreading the word. He was hurt by John Mark leaving them during their first expedition and therefore chose to reject him. And as I was writing this, I was just, man, this, I am so like this. If I'm hurt, if I'm rejected, I reject immediately. We reject because we were first rejected, and in doing so, Paul lost his way. But fortunately for Paul, he had his Barnabas around to call him back to his destiny. As first, a relational minister, and second, an evangelizing minister. Because Paul had forgotten that. And it's so easy to forget our destiny when we're in the midst of hurt. And it's in those times especially that we get around our Barnabases and our Clarences to have them call us back to our destiny and away from the disaster that we are hurtling toward in our hurt, rejection, and discouragement. Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And this is telling us that as believers, we must call one another back to their destiny. But you've got to be so careful about how you do it. Because there are too many ex-believers who say they were hurt by another believer in the church, and the criticism that was levied against them 
was not done to call them back to their destiny. It was done because the person criticizing them was discouraged. So therefore, a good test of whether you're challenging encouragement is in fact encouragement, is to ask yourself, does what I'm about to say bring this person back to their destiny or push them further away? Does this put courage into them to walk into their destiny or does it push them further away? And this leads us into our final form of encouragement, and that's prophetic encouragement. And this is the one that I believe is actually the most important form of encouragement. Because without this, we have no idea of our destiny, and therefore, we have no way of knowing whether we're going toward it or not. And prophetic encouragement might sound tricky or grandiose, but it really couldn't be any simpler. It means to call out the gold in someone before possibly they even see it themselves. And that's really not that hard to do. Because when we read Romans 15:5, it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And we see Barnabas do this twice in Acts. First, in that passage we just read, 1539, it says, Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Barnabas was seeing the gold in John Mark. He chose not to see the reality of what Paul did, of a man who deserted their first mission. Instead, he saw John Mark as Jesus saw him, as the man who would write Mark's gospel, which in turn is probably the gospel that many a believer has read first and then believed in Jesus. So without this prophetic encouragement, without seeing the gold in John Mark, to look not with the earthly reality, but with the mind of Christ, it's hard to imagine John Mark having the courage to continue his ministry and write Mark's gospel. And then the second time that Barnabas sees a man the same way Jesus saw him and not as his earthly counterparts did is in our passage for today, which is Acts 9, 26-27. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and bore him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. But Barnabas. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple, but Barnabas. All these apostles, these wonderful people of God, couldn't see past their hurt of a man who had murdered their brothers and sisters but Barnabas. Barnabas saw Paul how Jesus did, as the man that accounts for a vast amount of the New Testament who helped shape our church in a way many, a few people, few others have, as the man that spread the gospel further than any other person had. Barnabas risked it all for Paul because he saw him as Jesus did. He took a stand to put courage into Paul, and it could have backfired. That's always the scary part when we try to see people as Jesus did. We could mistake it. But if we don't, if we never take a chance to see people as Jesus sees them and not as the world sees them, we will never change the world. And that's why it's so important. We have to be the Barnabas as much as we need the Barnabases around us. We have to be the but people. 
Everyone hated Sam at work, but Charlotte. Everyone knew Layla would fail that exam, but Sophie. Everyone was afraid of Alex, but Chris. We must, must be a people that see the gold, that, that see the gold in people, that use our heavenly eyes and not our earthly ones, and then we've got to call it out. We must help give people destiny. We must be people that put courage into others to step into their destiny. We cannot be a group of people who simply get together on a Sunday, enjoy some worship and a word, and then leave. This has to be real for each of us, and we can all do it. Because each one of us has the ability to have the mind of Christ, the ability to think about one another as Jesus did, then all we have to do is speak the truth of how God sees them, which of course would be kind, life-giving, destiny-shaping, biblical truth. We have to be people that put courage into others, which means we also have to have people around us who put courage into us.